Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. Today, they have asked me to kind of um, chat with you today about kind of how do we have a conversation that sometimes can be a little difficult with some of our peers. How many of you uh, feel like you've had a challenging conversation that kind of just feels a little awkward where maybe your peers say something to you like, um, have you ever thought about killing yourself or really getting frustrated with their mom at home? Or maybe they're just really struggling with a lot of anxiety or they're struggling with a lot of depression. Am I, am I resonating with you guys and some of the challenges that you have? And sometimes those conversations can feel a little awkward and we're not really sure how to respond. Um, and so today I'm going to share with you a little bit about some of the, the common ways that we can respond. I want to do two things today. One, I want to give you some practical, just things to say. I want to really equip you practically. And so, uh, but I also want to empower you to become the person that you need to be in order to really be able to have a conversation with your friends, because you can be equipped and have all the right information. But if you're lacking the confidence in a moment, it's not really going to matter. And so there's kind of a twofold thing that we're going to be talking about today. Now I have 50 minutes. I am a fast talker. So if at some point you're like, whoa, 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 can you slow down? Y'all just raise your hand and tell me to slow down because what I'm about to do here is try and crunch about six months of a training into about 50 minutes, okay? So if you decide, now funsies for funsies, um, say some of you in here are 18, 19 years old and you want to get certified in biblical counseling, you can talk to somebody back at the table when you're done, get more information on that and you can actually become more equipped um, to do some biblical counseling. So I'm gonna start by kind of talking about, I'm going to get some feedback from you guys and just shout out what are some of the top emotions that you feel like your friends struggle with or you struggle with. Anxiety is always number one. What depression? Somebody said yes. Anger is a great one. What else? Stress, just overall stress. What were you saying? Somebody over here just make something up. (laughs) Somebody said confusion. (laughs) I think, okay, so I'm going to take this down because I know I, I move around a lot. These are all really, really, really good answers. And I'm going to give you a lot of just tips, some counseling tips today. And the number one tip you get is really almost every challenge that everybody has kind of goes back to a couple of main problems. The number one thing that we deal with in the counseling room, hands down, is fear, dealing with fear. And everything that you talked about, even anger, um, if we really were to pull back layers, um, goes back to fear. Fear of not being in control, fear of how somebody is perceiving me, fear of how this is going to look for me, fear of not being loved the way I need to be loved in a particular moment. Um, And so we're going to be talking a lot about fear today. So I just want you to kind of remember that. And a lot of times you'll you'll see me kind of peel back a layer, taking us all the way back to fear. Um, How many of you have had kind of an uncomfortable conversation with a peer at some point about something that's just kind of awkward going on with them and you don't know how to respond? Yes, almost every single one of us in this room. I can probably say um, that that's true for adults too. Now, if I said to you, what is your barrier in that moment? Funny enough, your answer would probably be fear. I'm afraid that I'm going to make it worse. I'm afraid I don't know what to say. I'm lacking courage. So again, we're seeing how a lot of this goes back to just that root of fear. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is God's plan for wholeness. Okay, so we talk a lot about salvation. Many of you have talked about salvation this weekend. Some of you have maybe given your life to Christ this weekend. 
Some of you have maybe seen your friends give their life to Christ. Um, But I want to share with you, and I'm going to read straight from Scripture because Scripture is where we base everything off of um, in our counseling program. I'm going to take you right back to Isaiah 61. And it's talking about the anointing that will be on Jesus and all that your salvation comes with. Okay, So it says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now he's talking about Christ. To preach good tidings to the poor. Now we're talking about bringing the goodness and the salvation, the message of salvation to all of those who are poor in spirit. But he goes on and he says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Okay, so a lot of times what we don't realize is that our salvation comes more with just an eternal salvation. But there's a healing that is offered for us, not just, oh, he can heal my broken wrist, but he can heal my broken heart. Um, And I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know the premise and the confidence and the power and the authority that you carry to be confident in a moment or that God does not want our friends to be brokenhearted. That salvation doesn't just include someday I'm going to make it to heaven. But salvation also includes today for me, God wants my heart to be filled with life. And everything that's broken in my life, it is possible that I can be healed because of the power of Christ. So you've got to actually recognize the premise and the authority that you stand on when you're ministering. So your confidence isn't coming from you and your really good counseling skills. Your confidence is coming from knowing that you serve a God who loves your friend more than you love your friend and wants your friend's heart to be healed. Okay, so this actually takes you out of the equation. It takes you out of the conversation. I'm going to go on. It says to proclaim liberty to the captives. We're talking about freedom. A lot of times when I'm dealing with students, uh, we go into, uh, I'm going to say Cleburne. We go into Cleburne High School and work with a lot of students there. We work with a lot of students from all over Johnson County. And so what we do a lot of times there is we talk about places where I feel stuck. We had an entire class where we just asked students, we said, you're going to get to define for us the conversations that we have over the next few weeks. And I want you to tell me places where you feel like I have no choice, I feel stuck, I don't see a way out. Now, how many of you know the number one answer in that is some kind of a relationship? Where we feel trapped in a relationship. Some of us have best friends in this room, and if we're honest with ourselves, we feel trapped by that relationship. Where I don't feel like I can say, no, I don't want to do that. Or I don't feel like I have the freedom to disagree with my friend because she might get mad, he might punch me, whatever it is. But God says that I have come, not that you would have eternal life someday, but that you would walk in freedom in every situation. Liberty from the for the captives. Freedom from feeling incaptivated, enslaved, stuck, and trapped. I'm just reading to you straight from scripture. The opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and saying, hey, this is the year of your acceptance. This is the year every, what year? 2020? No, every year. Because every year when I read this verse, it says the same thing to me. And that is God saying to me, Lisa, I have accepted you. How many of you know that one of the number one things we deal with is rejection? Fear of never being loved. Rejection goes back to, what did I say? Fear. Fear of never being loved. So I'm reading to you everything that scripture is telling us that God has made possible and his desire for you to comfort all who mourn. We're talking about sadness, general depression, people who are grieving, to console those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes. Come on now, this goes back to your image. A lot of us look in the mirror, we don't see the beauty, but we see the ashes. 
and we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, and that affects the way I act, it affects the way I feel. If I don't feel good, I'm not going to act good, and if I don't act good, people aren't going to treat me well. Okay, because I'm going to teach and train people how to treat me based on how I think about myself. If y'all get nothing out of today, you've got to get that. You teach and train people how to treat you based on how you treat yourself. Do you remember the woman at the well when she showed up and she said, Why are you, a Jew, talking to me, a woman and a Samaritan? She was trying to teach and train Jesus according to the system and the culture the appropriate way to treat her. And Jesus shattered that lie by saying, it doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how everybody's treated you. It doesn't matter how lowly you think you are. I find you worthy of having a conversation with. And he shattered that right in that moment. Going on, he said, the the Bible says, I'll give you an oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. How many of you know a spirit of depression is a spirit of heaviness? It's a spirit of darkness. It's when I feel stuck, I feel trapped, I feel rejected, everything feels heavy. It's a spirit of dread. In there somewhere is a spirit of self-pity. I feel sorry for myself because I'm not getting what I want in a particular moment. And so God is telling us over and over and over again that these are the things your salvation includes. That they may be called trees of righteousness. How many of you feel like a tree of righteousness versus a weeping willow sometimes? A tree of righteousness, there are a lot of versions that talk about an oak of righteousness and an oak has has a root system that goes deep and it's strong. And the more the wind blows, the stronger the roots get. And God is saying your salvation includes a mentality that when the winds blow, you get stronger instead of weaker. But many of us ourselves struggle with the winds of our emotions, the winds of our relationship, the winds of our grades. Come on, the winds of all the, all the conversations going on around us, the winds of the opinion of people around us. And slowly but surely we begin to weep like a weeping willow. We become wilty and weak and faint hearted. And none of that is what God has in mind for you. You've got to know the right you have to enforce what is true for you. That's why I'm reading to you straight from scripture. This is not about what you deserve. It's about how you're designed. Somebody better write that down. It's never about what I deserve. It's always about how I'm designed. If I know how I'm designed, I have the right to enforce what is right for me. I've got to know how I'm designed. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Now, he's talking about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now, when we're talking about mental health, emotional health, we're talking about the soul portion of who you are. Now, we are a spirit being. Once we come into Christ, our spirit comes alive. And we are first and foremost a spirit being and we have a soul. Okay, now why is that important? My soul dwells in my body. So I am a spirit being, I have a soul. Now listen to me, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. I tell my students, it's your thinker, your feeler, and your picker. It's what I think, it's how I feel, and what I choose. My feeler and my picker will always be at war with God's thinker, feeler, and picker. That's why it's important that we learn to surrender to the Spirit of God so that everything I think is thinking like God. Everything I feel is feeling like God. The things that I choose are in line with the choices and the will of God. 
And all of life is about us learning how to drag our thinker, our feeler, and our picker into alignment with God's. Now, what does that mean for me? It means I can think and feel one way, and that can be a reality that I'm experiencing, but there can be a truth in the spirit that is totally different. Example, I can feel depressed, but I have the joy of the Lord. Which one's true? Come on, which one is true? The joy of the Lord. There's a reality that I'm experiencing, but your reality does not always equal your truth. And the reason why I'm teaching you the difference between the body, the soul, and the spirit is that you need to know that in the spirit. How many of you know in Psalm 42, David, the psalmist, looks at his soul and he says, Soul, what's up with you? Why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Don't you know that God is good? Now this sounds crazy because what is he doing? He's talking to himself. He's reminding his soul that's trying to lie to him and say, you're depressed, you're downcast, you're worthless, you're no good. You really screwed that up, didn't you? And the spirit of God in him is rising up and is saying, hold on now, don't talk to me like that. He's having self-talk. Now that might sound a little crazy, but how many of you know you're talking to yourself in your head all day long? How many of you know that the majority of the voices and the voice in your head the majority of the thoughts in your head are not in line with what is true, but instead they are in line with how you feel, what you think, what you are experiencing, what your friends are saying, what the world is telling you. And you've got to, in a moment, capture that and cause a paradigm shift to say, I can discern the difference between what my feeling is telling me and what God says is true for me. That's what that passage that everybody says, the word of God is a double-edged sword. It's sharper than any other. It can divide the sunder between the soul and the spirit. That's what it's talking about. Light bulb. It's saying, hey, the word of God is where I'm going to decide. Is this my soul speaking or is this truth speaking? Because if God says, I have given you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and my and I'm feeling and hearing voices of despair in my head, the word tells me there's a division here. There's a difference between what your soul is telling you and what the word says. So we've got to be able to understand the right that we have and the premise upon which we come when we're ministering first and foremost to ourselves. Because listen to me, part of the empowerment here is teaching you how to minister to yourself in your own mind. Because the more you become very, very adept at learning how to capture your own thoughts and knowing what to do with your thoughts, the more you will be very quick at doing that with your students. So what are the most important things that I can do to become more equipped? We're going to talk for a minute about ministering to yourself. The more you grow in your own relationship with you, understanding the way you think, understanding why you think it, and understanding the right that you have to do with your thinking and your feeling, the more you will become equipped to minister to those around you. The Bible talks about ministering out of what you have first received. And so if I'm living in a state of depression, and I have a friend who comes to me and is in depression, and we're going to sit in our pit of depression together, okay? Now, super important that you recognize that when somebody to you and they begin to talk about maybe how they're feeling or they're just expressing feelings and they can't quite define what they're feeling. A lot of times we think it will be helpful to them if we connect with them and saying, I feel that way too. But let's think about what's happening in the spirit is you're actually doubling the negative spirit. 
training ourselves towards righteousness, meaning I need to learn how to transform my mind so that my thinker, my feeler, and my picker is always lining up with God's. So here are some things that I want you, I'm going to give you some things to write down. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about becoming a little more emotionally agile. All right, I want to know, can I work through my emotions and not get stuck in one emotion? Now, the Bible talks a lot about meditating on the Word of God. When we're meditating on something, what are we doing? We're thinking about it over and over and over and over again. When I'm thinking about a problem, what am I typically doing? I'm thinking about it over and over and over again. And here's what's funny about it. And then I want to try and feel better by talking about it over and over and over again. And what that means is I am actually practicing how to meditate on my problems, which then becomes worry and anxiety. I'm certified in brain health coach. I could go into the science of what's happening in the brain and all that. But let let me just say that there is a part of your brain. It's your cingulate gyrus. It's the mohawk part, the right in the center, okay? So if we were to, if you were stuck meditating on a problem and anxiety, we're starting to, your, your anterior cingulate gyrus is what we call your brain's gear shifter. It's how I shift from one thought to the next. Okay, so when I'm stuck thinking about a problem, I have a hard time shifting out of that thought process and shifting into a new thought process. Am I right? Okay, we all know. You're laying in bed at night and you're like trying. And the more you try not to think about it, the more you think about it. And then next thing you know, your heart rate starts going up. So if we did a, a scan of your brain at that moment, we would see this is all fired up. We would call, we would say your ACG is hot um, because it would be all lit up. Um, and what is happening there is there are certain chemicals going on in your brain. And typically then if we allow ourselves to continue to stay stuck in that loop and not shift out of that thought process, what would eventually happen is it would begin to trigger your basal ganglia back here and your amygdala, which is your fear factor in your brain. And you would, the basal ganglia is typically where panic anxiety attacks come from. Um, it's also really the heart and the root of where depression settles also in the amygdala, which is your fear factor in your brain. So that's all just kind of for fun and recognizing that your brain has been created to shift gears. So emotional agility does not mean I don't have emotion, okay? Because some people will tell us that we just need to stop being emotional. Um, And that is not healthy. That's not what emotional agility or being able to shift gear means. It doesn't mean I can stop being emotional. It means I know how to capture an emotion process through the emotion, learn from the emotion, and declare truth over the emotion. And I'm going to go through these steps with you because this is super important. Now, when I said capturing an emotion, did anybody think about a scripture passage? Yes. So in 2 Corinthians 10, it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Okay, now I'm going to say that again. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So if somebody comes at me and they start talking about depression, what do I typically try to do? I typically try to give them advice. I typically try to give them some kind of counsel. I typically try and think of what kind of weapons do I have to try and attack this depression in their life. But God says the weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. So we've got to become equipped with the word of God. We've got to become equipped with the truth of God. Now, listen, I understand sometimes we're not in a place where we can say, listen, the word of God says this. But you can say, there's a truth that I have learned in a situation like this. The truth is this, that we've been created and designed to capture that thought and that emotion and really decide what we want to do with it. So I want you to write down this question. How do you want to be feeling and who do you want to be? So 
So when you're in a moment and you hear your student, your friends uh, saying, I feel this way, I feel that way, I feel this way, a very, very powerful question to ask them is, is this how you want to be feeling right now? And that's going to reveal two things because how many of you know some of us are addicted to our negative emotions? Because really what you're doing is you're revealing to them, first and foremost, you have an option here. You can choose to change how you're feeling. Now, a lot of people will say, I can't. And that's when you can either say, well, actually, I know a truth from scripture. Or you can say, I know a truth that says that we are designed to be able to shift our emotions by shifting our thoughts. Whatever your most, whatever's most appropriate in that moment. I'm going to go for scripture every time, but I do minister a lot in the public schools. And so sometimes I'm not in a place where I can actually say so. So I say so without saying so. All right. So it goes on. It says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Now let's go back to that moment where I'm stuck in a loop. I have now become enslaved to that thought. It has become a stronghold in my life. I am continuously stuck in rejection. I am continuously stuck in fear. I am continuously stuck in anxiety. I am continuously stuck in this relationship. These are the things that have become a stronghold in our lives. Now the question is, is the stronghold holding on to you or are you holding on to it? Because when I ask the question, is the feeling holding on to you or are you holding on to the feeling? Now I'm going to go through the rest of this passage and I'm going to swing to another one. It says, we demolish argument. What's happening in our mind? The enemy's having an argument with us. God says, I'm filled with the fullness of joy, but sure, I sure do feel depressed. God says, I have confidence in this moment, but I sure do feel insecure. And what's happening is I'm arguing. My feelings are arguing with what I know to be true. And a lot of times our circumstances are going to argue with what we know to be true. And those, those are those moments that you have to be aware to say what's happening in this moment. Sets itself up against the every, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. So these are things, truths that we have, but thoughts, emotions that we come that are coming against what God tells us is true. God says I'm filled with the fullness of joy, but I feel, but I have an argument going on my, in my head that is saying something against what I know to be true. Every single one of us in here, y'all, you're not alone because the enemy wants you to feel like you're the only person that ever feels depressed and nobody knows what you're feeling. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And he goes on and he says, take every thought captive and make it, make it obedient to Christ. If you were to read this in the Greek, that word thought also includes the idea of every affection or emotion. So it's not just talking about the way I think, but it's also talking about how I feel. What am I talking about? My thinker, my feeler, and my picker. I'm talking about the instruction that God gives to me on how to line my thoughts and my emotions up with what is true in Scripture. Now let's go back up to Mark chapter 16, 17. He's talking about believers. These will be the signs to those who believe. It says, these will be the signs of those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with a new tongue. They will take up serpents. They will drink anything deadly, and it will by no means hurt them. 
Now, a lot of times we take a look at this and we talk about all the manifestational gifts, but let's really take a, let's less spiritualize it here. And let's really take a look at what God is saying here. He's saying is when you come into Christ, here will be the evidence that you are a believer. The evidence is you will be able to speak against and cast out demons in your own life. How many of you know anger is not your friend? How many of you know depression is not your friend? How many of you know pride is not your friend? Fear is not your friend. These are not of you. They come at you. And so what the Bible is saying, when you can take up serpents with your hands, okay, so, you know, we we hear a lot about these churches that take up snakes and handle them or what have you. He's actually talking about our authority that we have, watch me now, to go, ooh, what am I thinking? How am I feeling? I'm feeling depression. And I have the power to take that, in a sense, out of my mind and look at it and say, depression, you don't get to handle me. I get to handle you. Anger, you don't get to handle me. I get to handle you. That's what he's talking about. When he's saying you can take up serpents with your hands, what is he saying when he says you can speak in a new tongue? He's saying, I have a new language. I have a new way of communicating, not just this way, be all inside my own head. I no longer, I no longer talk to myself in a way that's self-abasing, self-abusing, self-degrading, but I've been given a new tongue and my tongue agrees with what God says about me and that am I am a child of God and I am fearfully and wonderfully made for that my soul knows very well. What is my soul? My thinker knows it. My feeler knows it. Knows it and everything I choose lines up with it. See, the psalmist just didn't say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He went on and said, and I have trained my soul so that my soul agrees with what God says about me. It's one thing for me to say, God, I know that you're God and I know you have created me with an incredible purpose in mind. It's another thing for me to look in the mirror and say, Lisa, I agree with God. Girl, you've got it going on and you have an incredible purpose. That's my soul agreeing with God saying, I agree with God. They will drink of anything deadly, but will by no means hurt them. How many of you know there's lots of poison in the world? Your ears hear poisonous conversations all day long. But the Bible says that a sign that you believe is that that poison will not poison you. How many of you remember the story of... um, Paul, when he gets bit by a viper, he, he wrecks on the, on the island and, and the viper clings to his hand. And the Bible says that he shook off his hand and the viper fell into the fire. And then all the islanders were watching to see how the poison of the viper, not the bite, but the poison of the viper would affect him. But here's what was is astonishing me about this. This story is that not only was he able to shake off the viper, but the poison had no effect. And the fact that the poison had no effect was the evidence to the islanders that he was different and that he was from God. And a lot of us need to learn to shake the poison off of the world a little bit more. People are going to say stuff. Can you just, come on, let's just, let's just admit it. People are not going to like you. Y'all, not everybody likes me. People are going to say stuff about you. They're going to and poison you. They're going to try and be around you with their negativity. They're going to try and impress you with their perception and their opinion. But the Bible says, here's the authority that you have. You can shake off that opinion and it will not affect you. That's what this is talking about. All right. Number one, define, write the word define. Number two, identify, write the word identify. Number three, the word decide. Number four, the word declare. And number five is the word do. 
I'm talking to you right now about emotional agility. The first thing we need to do is be able to define how I'm feeling. How many of you know that's really challenging when you're hot in emotion, stuck in a moment? And you've got, right? I don't know what I'm feeling, I'm not what I'm feeling. So how is this relevant? Number one, you're gonna practice on yourself. In a moment, y'all, I do this all the time. When I start kind of feeling something and I become aware that maybe my heart rate's up or I'm feeling something. And I will pause in that moment and say, Holy Spirit, help me define what I'm feeling. I need to give that feeling or that thought a name so I know what I'm dealing with. I'm feeling paranoid. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling unsure. I'm feeling confused. How many of you know confusion is not from God? Somebody said confusion. That's actually a huge. The Bible says that we are not double-minded, but the wisdom of God has been given to us generously. All we have to do is ask for it. James chapter 1. Listen, I'm not giving you advice. I'm just telling what truth says. So I'm going to define what I'm feeling. Now, how do we help our friends in a moment with our... Okay, so in a moment like that, you might say to them, in one word, if you had to define how you were feeling, how would you define it? Okay, so what you're doing is you're trying to, here, listen to me, here's what's happening psychologically, is you're forcing them to shift from their emotion center to their executive control center. You're trying to get their brain to take a moment, take a breath, and bring it into a a succinct thought or an emotion. If they can't, I do this all the time, If you were going to send me an emoji right now, what emoji would you send me? Because a lot of times we can't verbally say what we're feeling, but we could pick an emoji. I would send you this one for sure. Okay, so I'm giving you practical tips in helping your friends define what they're feeling in a moment. Number two is identify what triggered it. What, where were you at when you first started, noticed that you were feeling this way, and what was happening? So your emotions are road signs and they point you back to a message. So a lot of times they might say, I I don't know, I'm feeling mad. Where were you at when this happened? Well, I was at the lunch table and -and so-and-so said this about me. Okay, so when she said that, what message were you hearing in your own head? Okay, because sometimes somebody will say, I'm not really sure I like those shoes. And she's like, "Uh, well, she's just, she doesn't even like me and she's always super mean to me. And you would say, well, why? What did she say to you? Well, she said she doesn't like my shoes. What that part, what your friend is hearing and what really happened is two different things. Why? Because their emotions are lying to them. Their emotions are telling them something that didn't happen. So when you're asking them these questions, you're having the conversation. You're not willing to not have a conversation with them. It doesn't become awkward. You're getting equipped and you're helping them self-discover. Now I want you to write that down next to the identify. I want you to write self-discover. And I'm going to give you, I'm giving you so many tips here, you guys. I'm giving it all away for free. You're going to help them self-discover. Now, in a moment when our friends are hot, they're upset, whatever, our inclination is to start giving them answers or giving them advice. But I want you to think about how Jesus ministered to people. He always asked them a question. What do you want me to do for you? But why was he asking that question? It's because he was helping the person self-discover what was within them. So when you ask questions, you help your friends discover what am I feeling and what was happening when this feeling started. Part third, second, third one is to decide. Okay. Now this is where some of those questions come in and saying, is this how you want to be feeling right now? If I said that in the midst of this joy is possible, would you want joy or would you want to stay stuck where you're at? Now, if your friend says, I don't want to be filled with joy. I want to be stuck. 
Good enough. Love you. I'll be praying for you. That's your cue that they're really not. Now, most of them will probably say, well, of course I want to, but I can't or I don't know how to. Okay. You're not here to teach them how to. You're just here to have the conversation with them. Number one need everybody has is to feel connected with. Number one need. And the worst thing you can do in a moment like that is to walk away from them. And I, I, Mariah, I'm going to call you out said to you many times when you have friends that have awkward conversations, I always say to you, it doesn't really matter what you say in the moment. Just be present. Let them know I'm willing to sit with you in this moment. We become scared of their emotions and it's awkward. And so we kind of slowly distance ourselves from them or we go and turn to another friend. And what you've done is you've disconnected from them and you've actually confirmed their negative emotions. Instead of saying your negative emotions don't scare me. I find you worthy of sitting next to in the midst of your negative emotions. I want to love you in the midst of your negative emotions. Now remember, I don't want to be a pit friend, so I'm not going to agree with your negative emotions. There's a fine line there. I'm willing to sit with you, but I'm not going to agree with them. Okay? So we're talking about emotional agility. So how do we flow back and forth? Number one, we define what I'm feeling in a moment. Number two, I identify what triggered it. Three, I decide what I want to do with it. How many of you feel like you can walk yourself through these steps the next time you're feeling hot on an emotion? Because until you can do it to yourself, you will not be able to do it with another. I'm telling you five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day. Liz is my assistant. She can tell you how many times I walk into her office and I say, I need five minutes. Tammy's in that office. I need five minutes to just outline walk myself through some emotion. Nobody say anything. I don't want them to give me advice. I don't want them to respond. I want to have somebody present with me in my ugliness because usually my emotions are ugly. Come on. I want to. And when I start talking about it out loud and I will sometimes be very mechanic, define what I'm feeling, define what, God, what am I feeling right now? What is this? Lord, what is this? And I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to begin to bring revelation. And the more I have become adept at doing that, see, I don't want to stop having an emotion because typically that emotion reveals something about me. It's usually it reveals a core lie that I really don't feel confident with that particular person or I don't feel loved by that particular person or I feel insecure in this particular moment, which goes back to, am I trusting God? Okay, so I'm allowing my emotions to teach me something about me. And then we've got to identify what triggered it, decide what I want to do with it. Now, there are some things that the Bible has decided for us. Praise God. There are some things that God says, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving of heart, grant your requests before the Lord and the peace of God that transcends your understanding will guard your heart and your mind until the day of Christ Jesus. God's already decided for me. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to decide. God's already decided for me. All I have to do is choose to partner with him. All I have to do is choose to let him do it. Oh, I just have no patience for this person. But God says he's given me a spirit of patience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Anybody say you struggle with patience? You're lying to yourself. Your soul struggles with patience, but in your spirit, your patience is perfect. Because you've been given the fullness of patience of Christ to suffer long. Anybody say you struggle with peace? You can say, I struggle with peace, but to say, I have no peace is lying to yourself. All right. Declare truth over it. Now, this is where I'm really going to cause a powerful shift by saying, okay, this is what I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide to be joyful, but I need a weapon that's not of this world. And where am I going to find my weapon? Yes, the Bible. Thank you, sir. The Bible has equipped me with the most powerful tool of all. And so I'm going to get a weapon and say, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. Is that a choice that's already been made for me? Now, if I want to feel the rejoicing, what do I have to do? 
I have to rejoice. Thank you, which is step number five. I'm gonna do it. Now, we've all heard the term fake it until you make it. I want you to write this down. Faith it until you become it. Faith it until you become it. Okay? So I'm not pretending on faith I'm being who I know God has called me to be until I step into it. When the woman with the issue of blood said, I know that if I touch the edge of Jesus's cloak, I will be healed. When do you think she decided she would be healed? Before she was healed or after she was healed? Before she was healed. She faithed it until she became it. The blind man, Jesus walks up to him. He spits in his eye. I was talking to my small group about this. I was like, this is a comical story for me. Like this guy's never seen anything. He doesn't know anybody's even walked up to him. All he hears is a sound of a loogie coming his way. And then he feels wet yuckiness come to his eyes and he hears a voice go, now go wash you in the pool of Silo. Okay, now I'm just gonna tell you, if I was a blind man, I'd be like, who the heck are you? I can't see anything. You want me to what? And in case you didn't notice, I can't see where I'm going. But in order for his healing to manifest, what did he have to do? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Did he do it in the dark or in the light? Did he do it in the dark or in the light? light? No, he did not. He did it in the dark. He had mud. He was blind and he had mud put on his eyes. And Jesus said, if you want your sight to come, if you want your joy to come, if you want your peace to come, you're going to have to take some steps in the dark. You're going to have to face it until you become it. Because I guarantee you, well, let's talk about the lepers. Go present yourself to the priest. Go to the temple and present yourself as healed. And the Bible says that as they went, they were healed. We don't know how far that trip was. We don't know exactly when they got healed, but their first couple of steps they took in affliction. And it wasn't until they took those steps on faith that their healing became their reality. So we're talking about knowing what's due you. How do I pull that into my reality? I'm going to face it until I become it. All right, you guys get all that? Everybody still with me? All right, some practicalities. When I'm ministering to my friends, above all else, what do I want to do? Above all else, I need to love them, love them, love them. Doesn't matter. Love is what sets people free. You can have really good counsel. You can have a really good word for them. You can even have a really good prayer for them. But unless you love them, they will not be set free. You've got to love them. Love is what heals. I want to minister instead of commiserate. I want to minister instead of ignoring. How do I do that? I might say some things like this. Somebody says something. I understand that you feel. So I'm repeating back to them what they have said to me. Why? Because I want them to know I've heard them and I'm validating the emotion that they have communicated. So write that down. I understand that you feel. Notice I didn't say why. Sometimes people feel things and I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And it's the most ridiculous feeling in the world. But we never want to act that way because we, they will feel disconnected with. They will feel judged and not loved. I understand that you feel depressed. I understand that you feel upset with your parents. I meet with students all the time and they're always upset with their parents. And sometimes I think it's ridiculous. I'm like, you totally deserve that, you brat. That's what I want to say. But that would not be helpful in the moment if I said that. What I would say is, that's a valid feeling. I can understand that you feel upset. Now, what have I done in the moment? I have made them feel safe to communicate with me. I have cultivated connection and I'm not disconnected. I understand that you feel. That's a key sentence. Key sentence two. I hear you saying, I hear you saying that you're upset because she doesn't like your shoes. Why do you think bothers? you. Okay. So two key statements that's going to make your friends feel connected with. 
Remember, ask questions. Don't define for them what they're feeling and do not give them advice. You're not ministering to people. Not, I tell people all the time, people want to take our counseling program. They're like, I just have always felt like a counselor because people come to me for advice all the time and I give really good advice. And I tell them the fact that you give really good advice is actually what would make you a really bad counselor because counselors don't give advice. We ask really good questions to help the client understand, self-discover, what are you thinking? What do you believe? And why do you believe? that. That's all we're doing. That's all Jesus did. He asked really good questions. Y'all read the Gospels and watch closely for how he interacts with people. Greatest human need. Feel a sense of belonging and to feel connected with. Write that down. I'm, I'm kind of recapping now. The greatest human need. To feel a sense of belonging and to feel connected with. Why? Well, because if I feel a sense of belonging, I feel purpose in this moment. I feel needed. I feel loved. I feel valued. Greatest human need. I feel a sense of belonging. So in a moment, How can you help your friend feel like they are connected with in that moment? So I'm creating and cultivating a feeling of emotional safety. You can connect with me. And this is how Jesus ministered to people. All right, I'm going to recap a couple other key questions. How do you want to feel in this moment? Who do you want to be when you have a friend that's like, well, I'm just going to do this. You know what? If she says this and I'm just going to, they've already decided ahead of time how they're going to respond in a moment. That's a really great time to say, is that who you want to be? Is that, do you want to be that girl? I mean, come on, make sure you give them, always giving them back to empowering them to make the choice instead of being empowered or victimized by their emotion or their circumstance. Invite truth into the thought or the feeling and what options do I have? So I'm just, I gave you guys a ton of information. How many of you feel like this was somewhat helpful? Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. 